okay, here's all the people we're going to be talking to. Get familiar with all these people, all these uh, representatives. And you go and you look at their accomplishments. You look at their accomplishments, like their bios, and they list their accomplishments. And you get, you get like this. Here's what I've done. I passed the Sturdy Act that benefits children. Yeah. I passed a law that benefits older Pennsylvanians. I helped pass a law that helps people get to work on time. And that's their accomplishments. That's their accomplishments. Pardon my French. But that that's that's what they that's what they claim. Here's what I've done in my in my career for justice and equity i passed the sturdy act that tells people to nail their stupid couches to the floor wait a minute couches you've got to be kidding me no i don't know about couches but yeah anything they can fall over on a kid that's I mean, a couch a couch is not gonna fall over on a kid i guess it depends what your couch looks like i guess it depends on your kids too if you're one of those artsy people, maybe in the saint household yeah those artsy people you never know what they're gonna do yeah. <laughs> well of course this this Bill had the support of Ikea, Room and Board, Crate and Barrel, and William Sonoma. So, of course, all the big companies yeah. are on board with it. It, it, yeah. it. It's probably a law that's supposed to affect the producers of this furniture. Um, yeah, they'll be the ones coming out. They, they can more easily uh, retool to comply with the law. And sell you the brackets. R right. You Whereas the do? small, yeah, the, 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 uh, the big company is going to be behind something like this. I'm going to have to take this with me on job sites now. Because they tell you what you need and how to do it. Anchoring your oh, furniture is quick, email. easy, and costs very little. What what other what other horrific regulation have these ever pa people ever passed that is quick, easy, and costs very little? <laughs> so it says here, since 2000, more than 460 U.S. children have died from tip-overs, so furniture tip-overs. And then it says U.S. Senators Bob Casey, Amy Klobuchar, blah, blah, blah. Announced the passage, Senate passage of the Stop Tip Overs of Unstable Risky Dressers on Youth Sturdy Act, legislation to prevent furniture tip overs resulting in injury or death. So this is a good this is a good introduction to our welcome to the Lancaster Patriot podcast, by the way. This is a good introduction to our our conclusion of Thomas Paine, if you will, uh, common sense. And uh, he, here's a law. Here's legislation. It's not coming from the King of England. It's coming from right here in the U.S. of A. And uh, this is what we need. If we if we don't have the ability to make our own laws like this, we're not going to be prosperous. So we want to talk about Thomas Paine uh, concluding thoughts. And then we want to get into a little bit of uh, Title VII, actually, and a case involving Gerald Groff here in Lancaster County, who his case went to the Supreme Court recently. Um, so, Joel, let me start with you. Uh, we have this legislation. This is an example of a man-made law here and coming from the U.S. Uh, what, do you, what are your thoughts on, on Payne's arguments? We talked a little bit about Chapter 1 last, last two podcasts ago, and uh, mainly Chapter 3 and 4 we want to briefly touch on now. And Payne really argues there that, you know, the king's not going to be able to make laws that benefit us. We need to make our own. Yeah, uh, Payne, of course, is, at least at this point, seems to be arguing not so much against English rule, he considers himself an Englishman, but he's arguing against this the king, and he's arguing against the ability of the king to make laws that affect us over here in the U.S. of A. Well, of course, it wasn't called the U.S. of A then, over in the colonies, of course. And the difficulty I have with Payne is he's terrific at saying, well, th this king stinks. You know, He's no good. We got to reject him. 
but he's really light on what the what the answer really needs to be. I maintain that all that if if you get away from the the law of God, you, you'll be kind of um, shall we say tentative, even in fear of proposing new laws to some degree, unless you're a good old fashioned tyrant. You, you'll be you'll be slow to do that as you should be because how do you ever know without and without a transcendent law from God? How do you ever know that your new law? is not going to be worse than the old law that you that, that you just opposed. Could it possibly be, I don't know Thomas Paine isn't here to uh, talk to today, but could it possibly be that we could get a um, tyrant, as was, as was said before in England, and trade him for a tyrant here? I mean, are, are we supposed to feel better that we have a tyrant in, um, in the U.S., or again, in the colonies, maybe for governor, who's just as bad or worse? than the uh, tyrant in England. In other words, what is going to stop tyranny no matter where it comes from? And I think t Payne is really light on that point. He said, we have a tyrant in England, yes. But how's he gonna stop the tyrant next door? He's really light on that. In fact, I don't think I don't see where he says that at all. Yeah, and we, t we talked a lot about that two episodes ago. And so I just wanna bring up here in chapter three of, of Common Sense, uh, he, he talks a lot about, he says, this continent can make no laws but what the king gives it leave to. And then he says we may be as effectually enslaved by the want of laws or lack of laws in America as by the submitting to laws made for us in England. So, Luke, what do you think about that? We may be as effectually enslaved by the want of laws in America as by the submitting to laws made for us in England. And also your, your general thoughts as we wrap up on, on common sense here and talk about man-made law uh, and Payne's argument. I, I don't disagree. I mean, I mean every every nation needs law, so he's he's correct about that. We we, we do need we do need laws, and, and his arguments rejecting a foreign king um, are, are are sound, um, as the Bible says. You know, choose choose wise men from among you. The king was not from among them. The king was was a was a foreigner that was not acquainted with with what they had to deal with. Every nation has its own problems. And they need their 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 rulers to to know and be acquainted with those problems, as um, as as uh, was pointed out in that uh, movie. I love to talk about the Jack Bull, which was a uh, HBO movie back in the the late '90s with uh, John Cusack and John Goodman, where a man um, was trying to sell his horses uh, was trying to sell some horses at at market, but uh, he was traveling through some land. And uh, he was traveling through the Wyoming territory, and he came across somebody else's pro uh, property. And the guy had set up a um, a fence and said, "Okay, you got to pay to get me through my property." Long story short, um, the man ended up getting defrauded um, uh, because the other guy was taking advantage of him. And when they went to court, um, the uh, defendant, uh, the plaintiff, brought the case against the man who who stole his horses, essentially, and said. Um, you know, I gave you I gave you two horses as collateral, and uh, uh, you agreed to keep them for me until I came back because I couldn't pay the the toll to get through your land. And when you gave me back the horses, they were a bag of bones, and they you they were neglected and they were abused. And the defendant said, "Oh no, he gave me he gave me bad horses." But then the judge said to him, 
I know this area. I know these people. There's no way that this guy gave you bad horses. Nobody does that. Nobody takes bags of bone horses to market to sell them all the way across Wyoming territory. So I know you're lying. But that was an example, as you pointed out, Dad, of a man who was from among the people who would know that you're lying. Whereas me, if I was transported back then, I'm actually believe that a lot because I'm not acquainted with horses. So, uh, you know, the, the argument that we need people who are around here, who know these people, who are among these people, um, that is a sound argument. However... That's Payne's argument that the king can't govern us king can't, so far away. Yeah, yeah, from so far away because he's not acquainted with our problems. So, so the, the argument is sound. <laughs> However, I'm going to quote you here, Chris. Um, I, I believe here it says, <laughs> point on, on uh, uh, Article 2, Point B, uh, number number three, um, is this all lofty words without substance? And I'm going to quote you here, Chris, in your notes here. What law? Question mark, exclamation mark, question mark, exclamation mark, question mark, exclamation mark, question mark, exclamation mark, question mark. That's, that's, that's the question. That's the question for Thomas Paine. What law, Thomas? You know, if you if you substitute the tyranny of a of a foreigner for the tyranny of the local people, what have you done essentially? Um, and that's what happened. That 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 that's what happened. Um, historically, we know that's what happened. We we substituted the 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 tyrannical laws of a king for the tyrannical laws of a legislature, the tyrannical rulings of a supreme court, and the tyrannical um, executions, if you will, of. Of the, of the president of the executive branch. This is so frustrating because it, it would be one thing if the Bible really did, did just just tell us how to get to heaven, mm -hmm. if, if that's all it did. Mm -hmm. But we, we do have laws in the Bible about how to get along with each other. And it's so frustrating that we'll take anything except that, mm -hmm. anything, any legislative body, any, any uh, I, I don't know, Cicero or any Roman orator, anything except the one that god wrote and and i can understand this from the pagans it's the christians that have me upset here uh, you, you you talk about which laws and so forth and pain saying ah you know the king of england you know whatever i want the local and you're right luke i mean what if we get what what if we get a, a, a tyrant what what if we get a local tyrant who might be harder to get rid of right than the one across the ocean how do we get away from tyranny and there's only one way it's the embrace of God's law, and it's the one thing that the Christians will stand up and say, oh, no, anything but that. The Christians I'm talking about, yeah. it's beyond frustrating. Yes, yes. Well, it I think that that is in, in large part due to the fact that we don't actually know it. Hmm. We don't actually know God's it's true. law. It's very true. You know, I mean, yes. I went to Bible college. I went to seminary. We really didn't study God's law. Not much. Why do you think that was? Why, why? Why? I mean, how many years were you were you in seminary, Travis? I mean, I went for a long time because okay. I had a family. Yeah, so I was you did the treadmill thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. But, but you have multiple classes, and how many years right. in, were you in Bible college also before you were married? Or is that I got it? a four year degree. Yeah. Here so in, at Lancaster, maybe the equivalent of like maybe six years, and you didn't study God's law, right? Well, I mean, we did, but. It wasn't, Only to dismiss it, maybe kind of. I'll put it, it kind of like you know when I went to the academy for law enforcement, we really didn't study the Constitution. Mm. We weren't even required to read the Constitution. Wow, you know, and I don't think that's abnormal. Huh. Um, 
I think that, you know, we would, we were required to read through the Pennsylvania code, things like that, so that you were familiar with the traffic laws and the criminal laws and all those things. But we weren't required to read the constitution of Pennsylvania or of the United States. Um, and I think that's kind of a parallel to what happens. Now I understand why it happened here in Lancaster. I went to Lancaster Bible college, which is a historically dispensational school. Mm -hmm. And if you're a dispensationalist, which is a huge problem in America and in Lancaster County as well, um, along with the Anabaptist mentality, uh, that the old Testament really doesn't have a whole lot to say to us as the church because we're new, new, new Testament people, you know, to be consistent, um, it has nothing to say to us to be consistent. Some would actually not, say no, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've Those actually are the honest ones as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And I've actually been at a church over in York where there's some type of brethren. I forget exactly which kind, but I remember my wife and I were there for a wedding and I was just sitting in the pew waiting for things to start. And I, I see a Bible in the pew, and I'm like, this looks strange. And I get it out. It has no Old Testament oh, in it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And I'm like, what is going on? And I open it up, and there's a little note in the front, and they're like, we're New Testament Christians. Right. We we don't think this applies to us anymore. I'm like, wow, these guys are, like, consistent. Yeah, you know? no, that's consistent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just get rid of it. I think it's yeah. <laughs> it's, in, it's so interesting that if, you know, for red-letter Christians out there, that the, the, the red ink essentially stops after John, yeah. you know? Um, and, and if you're to put the if you put the Old Testament quotes and say in blue ink, um, a after you know Christ ascends and you know um, the Book of John is finished, after that you pretty much get only blue ink when it comes to quotations. They don't ever really quote Christ; they quote the Old Testament. You know, the blue ink just keeps on going. The apostles when they're when they're writing stuff down. I mean, yeah, which is intriguing. Peter, yeah, Peter quotes, quotes the Old Testament. Quotes the Old Testament. He doesn't quote Christ. Doesn't quote Christ at all. You know, and and I'm I'm like, I mean, how could you possibly be just a New Testament guy? Are you are you are you paying attention? And and I um I think it's funny too. You know, growing up, Dad used to work at um, Denver Cold Storage. A bunch of Mennonites there. And the arguments you had to them, you had to inform them that love your neighbor as yourself was from the Old Testament. Yeah, this, this was they like... had no idea. They had no idea that it was from the Old Testament. Right. They had no idea. And, and they were like shocked, right? You had to explain it to them? Yeah, it, it was it was, it was, it was the weirdest thing. I mean, they, we used to talk about the, the, the flat, they call it the flat Bible. Yeah, I believe in a flat Bible. Like the Old Testament and the New Testament are equally authoritative. Mm -hmm. They call that a, a flat Bible. I mean, it was weird. Some of the, some of the topics we talked about, kind of, well, one of them was like, vengeance. This is the New Testament. Now, nowadays, it's vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Oh, well, where did he say that? Oh, he said that in the Old Testament. Right. And this came as like news to these, to these dear people. Yeah, but it... It's a huge problem in the church, and it it severely truncates our understanding of the New Testament when we don't have as the foundation, especially the Pentateuch, mm -hmm. you know, the first five books of Moses. Uh, just that was what the kings were supposed to write down with their own hand under the supervision of the priests when they first go into office. They're supposed to read every day. You know, they, it was really important. Yeah, but, but do you think Travis? I mean, even if I mean, you're, you're saying well, they don't know it, and which is true. Um, yeah, they choose not to know it. I don't think let, they're encouraged to know it, though. I think it's a problem of pastors hmm. not encouraging the people to 
but, know, but where does this come from, Travis? Do you think? Where, in other words, I'm, I'm sort of kicking the can down the road here. If they don't yeah. know it, why don't they know? It? Why are they discouraged from knowing it? What What is going back there? I mean, you know, we talked before, I believe, about how um, you know Christ, for example, there Matthew four and, and, and Luke four quotes Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. In the temptation there, right? And he should have been saying, "Well, hey, you know what? I, I'm I, that. That's Old Testament. You know, I'm I'm here to supplant the Old Testament. How about what I say? Right? He doesn't even quote himself. He quotes Moses of, of all people, right? Which is ultimately himself. Exactly. He does quote himself, right? Of course, he does. What in the face of such obvious things? What is going on? Why? Why did this? How did this start to grow? Where we just we, we have your average churchman, I would say, has more antipathy. You guys can argue with me. Point hates the, hates the law of God worse than half a Karl Marx. Hmm. Am I am I on a limb here too far? I mean, I don't know if I don't know if I go that far, but. I would a say quarter, that a quarter of Karl Marx. <laughs> Government education. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're on board with uh, most of Karl Marx's ten planks. I would say that it depends what church you're at, first of all. <clears throat> but I think most people, it's just this uh, this unknown, strange thing. You know, like as a family, we're reading through scripture together, and you know, as you're reading through some of the Old Testament books, it's strange. Uh, you know, like, what does this mean? And, you know, we have a lot of good conversations about it. Um, but it just does feel very distant in some ways. And I think that there's a lot of hard study and thinking and meditating that needs to happen. And, and it's just not easy. I, well, for me, regarding the, regarding the pastors and what, what they think about God's law. Um, I, Chris, I think it was you who, who, who quoted this in your, in your book. I think it was you. Um, but this, the, the Corinthians passage about the things of the Lord are folly to those who are perishing. That includes the law. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that was me, but I'll take uh, credit for it. Okay. <laughs> Wait a minute. You, it just, was, you just went beyond what any of us are saying. Well, uh, the, the pastors have... <laughs> that's the, quite a thing. The pastors have not been backed into a corner yet. That's, that's, that's what I'm saying. They haven't been backed into a corner. And, and when backed into a corner, they're either going to say, yes, it's folly... Or no, it's wisdom, and the problem is they haven't been backed into a corner, and uh, I think that's what the church needs to do. Their leaders need to be backed into a corner. Yes or no? Is the law of God a good idea? If the law of God is a bad idea, that's an indication of of your Christian state. It really is because if you're saying this is folly, this is folly. The law of God is folly then you're saying the things of the Lord are falling. What does that say to about your, your state concerning you know, whether or not you're perishing? Because it says the things of the Lord are folly to those who are perishing for they are spiritually discerned. And that is an indic. That is an indic. Sorry, no, it was not you. It was, it was, it was someone else. It was, a, it was an article I had, I, a friend of mine had shared with me that he had written about natural law. Um, you don't and, get to claim that anymore. Yeah, sorry, Chris. <laughs> sorry. I was trying to remember, but you can put it in your next book. Yeah, <laughs> but 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 his but, but his point the point is true that the law is is something that's from the Lord and it needs to be spiritually discerned. And pastors have not been backed into a corner regarding the law of God. They have not been pushed. 
Is it a good idea? Yes or no? Is it just? Is it true? Is it good? And most of the pastors have not been backed into that corner. And and I I want to see every single pastor in this nation backed into that corner. Yes or no? Is the law of God a, a good idea? And the congregations need to be pushing their pastors into that corner. Your basic pastor, though, is going to twist and turn. He, he's going to flip flop like like a mackerel on a deck. Mm-hmm. You know, you ask that question. Well, you know, I'm saying it's bad. Uh, you know, but, but but we have to have the right perspective. And all. I mean, I, it can I, be done though because we did it. Yeah, we did it. We we did it with that at that breakfast. You know, we we yeah. asked that one pastor, "Do you owe Caesar a hundred percent of your taxes? Yes or no?" And the answer was, "Yes, you do." Back if, and forth, didn't Caesar twist anymore. Asks, I mean, yeah. he was twisting before, but they didn't yeah, right. twist anymore. He said, yeah. came out and said yes. So, if with enough with enough hard work and enough patience and and enough, you know, honestly, I'm going to say this, but enough brotherly love. If you have that discussion with your pastor, and you well, that was you more can, like brotherly shove, but it was, <laughs> but 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 still, but patience is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, and, and respect. You're right. It did take us a while to get there in that conversation yes it, it it did it did take some time but yes. you're right i mean the pastor was ultimately honest if you will yes said you know what if if the state asks and, and of course I've, i'm i know i've said oftentimes state doesn't ask right doesn't come in there, oh please no 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 they come with penalties yes they they, they they come with punishment uh and they make it easier for you to pay up than not to pay up okay but he did say at the end hey if the state demands 100 percent of your income they get it. So, but it did, it did it did take a while and the only way you can come up with an answer like that if you're a pastor is if you believe that God's law is a bad idea because God's law puts uh, limits on the civil magistrate and he was not willing to uh, admit that or agree with that. Well, I mean, he, he either either God's law is limitless or man's law is limitless. Let, let's let's not forget that. And for him, man's law is limitless. And I think that that's something we weren't really confronted with in the last generation until the last couple of years. Yeah, it was it was kind of a new thing for people to really have to wrestle with because we just kind of cruised along on cruise control for so long. Yeah, you know, even though there were a lot of signs of things going in in the wrong direction, you know, you had Francis Schaeffer and others in in the previous generation trying to point these things out. Um, but we're seeing the fruit of their hard work because it's starting to, the Christians are starting to, as a whole, the Christians are starting to be forced to deal with these things. Whereas exactly. before we, we could ostensibly afford to ignore them for a long time. Uh, ostensibly we could afford. Ostensibly. Exactly. I mean, yeah. we, right, couldn't. Right. we couldn't, we couldn't, and, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't because we didn't love our li- freedom enough. No, we, we didn't lo- love enough. So we were willing to put up with infringements on it as long as we were still comfortable. Right. What's happening now is our comforts being challenged. Well, that's yes. what, that's right. what Dave Stolzfus often tells me until these people lose their vacation home, their retirement, you know, their their second, their be, whatever. Until they lose those things, they don't care about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the, the, by and large, the American church has come to enjoy their prosperity given by God, and until that's taken away, it's going to be very hard to to rouse them from their apathy. Right. As long as as long as they can still watch their NFL, as long as they can still sit in their couch and right. play their video games and have their Twinkies and all that stuff, then eh, I don't really need to deal with this. The Romans had it right. Bread and circuses, baby. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the, you, you, you can take away their, their liberty bit by bit. Just keep up with the bread and the circuses. Keep the stomachs full and keep them distracted. We're, we're, we're good. But that's, that's on us. 
that we don't love our freedom, that this freedom given to us by Christ, eh, we're a little bit like the, uh, we're a lot like the old, you know, like the Old Testament children of Israel. All these good gifts of God, the new, the new land, eh, too much responsibility, eh, back to Egypt with you. Well, and then there was constantly these layers. If you look through Exodus, God kept having to put more and more layers between him and the people because of that very attitude. You know, Moses first comes down from Sinai with the tablets that God wrote on himself. And the people are down there playing around, fornicating with this right. golden idol, you know. Yeah. So then the next time he comes down, what he has them in, he has them in, in a box, right? And then he has to put them inside of the ark, which then has curtains between, you know, like there's all these layers then. So it's, it's really the same type of thing. People just want to insulate themselves. Like you were saying before, do we actually love God's law? Do we actually want to, uh, I think you said to me before, do we want to cozy up to God's law or do we want to just keep it at a distance? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's oftentimes the problem. We don't want to be directly confronted with God's presence and his demands on us and what he expects of us. And what do we have if we don't have that? What, what, what do we have if we don't have God right by us like they did? I mean, the, the, God's so near to us. Okay, yes. God's so near to yeah, them. What, yeah. what mm -hmm. other nation has God so near to them yes. from Deuteronomy chapter 4? Yeah. Right. So near he was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to maybe spend the next five or 10 minutes wrapping up some thoughts on, on Thomas Paine. There's much more we could get into there. And then I do want to spend a little time talking about uh, this title seven and, and this Groff case, but Joel real quick, Travis mentioned, we don't know God's law. What would be a, a good like resource book reference book to like how to understand the civil law from, from the old Testament? Yeah, I, I would start um, with something very well, if you want to say digestible, uh, R.J. Rushdoony's Law and Liberty, quite frankly. It was a series of radio addresses, and it, it was given um, – it, it, it's, it's, it, it's not really – it's not really chapter one, then chapter two, chapter three. You can pretty much read any chapter you want. The reason why I like that book so much, Chris, is because he shows the practical application of the wondrous nature of the application of God's law and connecting and connecting it to freedom. Now, if you love security rather than freedom, you're not going to like God's law, no matter what book I throw at you, of course. Right. You know, because it's just too much responsibility. But uh, then getting into it more de uh, deeply, Rustuni's Institutes of Biblical Law, it, it actually just lays it out. And a lot of people complain about that. So, okay, you theonomists, okay, you, you know, where where's your practical application? Well, we have an awful lot of practical application for you if you if you want to uh, embrace it. So I would say his his volume one and, and volume two of his Institutes of Biblical Law are excellent on this point. Also, anything uh, Greg Bonson's Theonomy and Christian Ethics is a, a is another excellent um, connection, if you will. Uh, it, it, the 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 initial. I know you didn't ask this, Chris, but see. The, the, the mentality that we bring to God's law is that it's a bad thing. And, and you have to, first of all, get through that barrier. Talk all our lives that, oh, yeah, we, we, God's law is, is bad, despite the, Paul saying, you know, I delight in the law of God. Uh, you know, am, am, I, am I going too far by, by saying that Paul says, I delight in theonomy? <laughs> is, that, is that too much? 
the law of God. I delight in that. Dis- despite that, and despite the quotations, Luke, to your point, we need we 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 need that done to be done. Mm-hmm. Old Testament quotations in blue throughout the Old Testament. Problem is, what would what do what do blue and red make? Purple. Purple. Mm-hmm. So so when Christ quotes the Old Testament, that would have to be purple, mm-hmm. right? I don't know how we would do that. Interesting. I, lo- I love your idea, though. Old Testament quotes in blue. But we, we have to get past that massive barrier that is in institutional Christianity today. And, I, I, you know, Rusty's Law and Liberty, I think, is helpful with that. But there's an awful lot of people that don't even want to start there. It says, no, 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 you know, God's yeah. law. What about uh, Halbrook's book? Uh, Halbrook's book is the problem. Thank you. That's the most uh, practical book I think right, I've seen. Tra- more than Rustuni. To, to Travis's point, like we don't know what the actual law says. Like I've listened to Law and Liberty, and it's a great book, but I don't know how much he gets into. I think doesn't Halbrook like go through? He goes through the specifics. Yeah. Uh, what what Halbrook does? Steve Halbrook, uh, God is just. Uh, that's the name of the book. Uh, God is just, and um, if, he happens to be a, a personal friend of mine, and it's a it's a great book because. One of the things that he does really well is he takes on those people say, oh, you know, if a woman is raped, then you have to stone her. You know, this is what's flying around out there. No, no, no. That's that's not that's just a flat out lie, quite frankly. And one of the things he does is uh, as a practical matter, he spends a lot of time, for example, on this issue of whether or not God's law is is well draconian is, is the word or harsh. harsh, if you will. And he compares that with man's law. And makes the point. You, you you want harsh, you, you want that. Let's talk about people who put you know who, the, the the torture, for example, that went on and on and on and goes on in pagan nations even now, and is ignored or approved of by the same people who are calling God's law harsh. Yeah, it's a great it's a great resource for that. Yeah, and I would say I know you didn't ask me, but. For Travis, people, what do you think? For people more, <laughs> yes, thanks, Chris. <laughs> for people more uh, like me who are more in the general equity theonomy type camp, uh, Vern Poitras's book, uh, "The Shadow of Christ and the Law of Moses," is kind of a, a way of seeing. You know, at the, in the very introduction of the book or the preface or whatever, he explicitly acknowledges his indebtedness to Rush Dooney and other guys. You know, in the theonomy camp. Um, the the more uh saber-toothed theonomists i guess you could say <laughs> saber-toothed <laughs> uh but you know he acknowledges that he he's been you know pushed and encouraged and he's learned a lot from their writings and and his friendship with a lot of those guys um but he 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 wouldn't call himself a theonomist however if you go through his book which i'm i'm doing uh you know at the end of the day he always acknowledges, you know, these things are so valuable for us as New Testament Christians. We need to wrestle with it and figure out how it applies now. Mm-hmm. He doesn't always land in the same place as Rush Dooney, but he's seeking to uh, highly elevate and value the law of God in the church. Mm. And, you know, whether or not we all end up in the same place, I think that the goal is. We need to wrestle with it. We need to know it. We need to seek to apply it. Is Vern Poitras still alive? I think so, yeah. Okay. Well, see, here's why I'd be a little bit happier with this book, which I haven't read, but I'm very familiar with it. It's it's an old book. It's been around for quite a while. It's from the 90s, early 90s. Yeah. So so maybe 30 years old or whatever. 1991. 1991. Okay. Um, I want want his next book to be The Shadow of Moses and the Law of Christ. 
That's that's what I want to hear next because it's he, he you know the, the the title is still like well it's it's still Moses law right Christ was in there somewhere we need to kind of find him and I'm like no um, it's all Christ but he, he's just not quite saying that it sounds like mm. not 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 quite all Christ we got Mo in there I I know you're not going to be happy with Poitras's book. However, I'm just saying for for a listener who might be like, eh, I don't know, this Rushdini thing is a little much for me. Maybe start out with looking at somebody like a Poitras. Baby steps here. Start baby out with, steps. Start, start out with Luke Saint's book, The Sound Doctrine of Theocracy. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> much that's shorter. Like the it's Rush much Dini shorter. Yeah, but it's much shorter than all these books. <laughs> I'm actually reading through Poitras's book as well, and there's a lot of good points in there. Yeah. To your point that we need to we want to understand what the law of God says. It is a good resource. Obviously, Vern Poitras is a very bright guy. I don't agree with everything he says. Um, for example, uh, he'll come down and say, you know what, maybe, and I actually mentioned this in, in my book, Seven State of Sins, where he talks about uh, acts of homosexuality. You know what, maybe it is right to, in some cases, this would be a capital offense. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't get there by looking at God's law. He says, well, I'm going to take this, whatever is disruptive to society, maybe then it could warrant the death penalty. Um, mm. and, and he doesn't, and then mm. I, don't, I don't know how you can't make that same argument with idolatry and transgenderism and, and the mm. priestess of that religion, which is what I talk about in my book. But, but Poitras' book is good. I'm also working through it. Um, and he does, he does engage a theonomist. So it's always nice to read that. Someone who's trying to take the law seriously, engaging the theonomists. I think some things are lacking, of course. I mean, he would disagree with me for sure, but, but it, it is definitely, I think, a good book. Interesting book. Yeah, and I I I value it because what I don't like is I don't like the, you know, like the the Westminster West type mentality. Just dismissing it. You guys, those guys crazy. all just kind of uh, dismiss it. You know, they came out with that book all against theonomy. You know, people like Poitras and Frame are actually willing to engage it. And if you read in Frame's book, which I really love, uh, the Doctrine of the Christian Life, um, he has a whole. Uh, appendix in the back dealing with theonomy and basically says you really need to deal with Rush Dooney because he has a lot of really valuable important things to say and he's not just dismissing it yeah. like a lot of the cool kids in the reform camp do you know if 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 you could just get people to to view the law of God as the standard of justice that's all. That's that's all it takes. That's a theonomist, right? And that's what Vern Poitras says he agrees with. And that's another. Then that's a theonomist. That's what I like about book. his book. He says, you know what? These people who critique the theonomists and say, oh, they just take everything literally. They don't. They don't understand how to interpret the Bible and grammatically, historically. He's like, no, that's false. Hmm. You know, theonomists don't do that. And I, that's what I hear a lot from pe sometimes people say, well, you, you guys can't. You know, you just you don't agree with each other. You, you take everything woodenly literal. And Poitras is like, that's not fair. You know, he's trying to he's trying to look at it and say the theonomists are right that the law of God is a standard of justice, mm -hmm. and um, I think that's so. He does have a lot of good stuff in that book. Yeah, and and uh, nobody said Joe Boot's book, The Mission of God. I think is a great if you are if if you are where Travis was saying that like I'm not so sure if I can digest the the you know the um, I don't know the T-bone steak of uh, of Rush Dooney, if you will, and I need something that's like maybe cut up for me a little bit. The mission of God provides a um, a philosophical and uh, epistemological uh, groundwork for understanding theonomy. If you want to understand the ultimate purpose, because theonomy is often tied to postmillennialism. Okay, if we are going to challenge the world and improve the world and go out into the world 
and bring the world to Christ and make disciples of all nations, by what standard are we going to use? Uh, so, uh, you know, the, it, theonomy is often tied to postmillennialism, and postmillennialism is often tied to theonomy, and that's tied to Calvinism and all that kind of stuff. But the mission of God by Joe Boot is a great resource for understanding all three of those things. So is, I recommend that. Is a Ruler of Kings a shortened version of that? I don't know. I haven't read Ruler of Kings. I, I, I was, I've read yeah. Ruler yeah. of Kings. I would say it is. Yeah, I think there's kind of like two separate things there. And, and the books that I was trying to, to, to point out to Travis's point were ones that really get into here's what the Old Testament law says specifically. I mean, obviously you can just read the Bible, but they then provide some commentary. I mean, even James Jordan's book, The Law of the Covenant, uh, Halberg's book, Rush Dooney's Institutes is a little of both saying, hey, here's the philosophy, here's the application. And I would say your book, Luke, is, is also a little both and is also unique in the sense it's trying to apply the structure. So yes. we, we, we need to understand, Travis was saying, what does the law say? Because so much of this is people are reacting to something that they don't even know. They're saying, oh, you guys believe in God's law. That must mean X. Yes. And a lot of times in your book, you're pointing out, no, it's not what, that's not what it means. You've, you've assumed these things based on your status mindset. Yes. Yeah, well, this would be a good time to say that a lot of, a lot of the folks, I wouldn't say all, um, but a lot of the folks that attack the economy are just flat out misrepresenting and frankly frauds. Because what they'll say is this. You'll see this all the time. They want to apply the law of Moses. No, we don't apply the law of Mo just the law. we don't apply all of God's law word to all of life. But what what they do is they characterize us say, "Well, you slammeth with the law of Moses." And of course, all people can see is like what sacrificing bulls again, mm -hmm. and and that's just not it's just flat out not true. Which tells you that their their position is extremely weak and tenuous. If you your your position is always weak and tenuous, if to make your point you have to misrepresent the other side. Right, right. Yeah, and and that's a. I think it's a rush duty term, the law word, right? Yeah, I, 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 that's the only place I've really seen it. Yeah, um, if he didn't invent it, he popularized. Yeah, it. yeah. So, but the idea, like, if, when you look at the Old Testament, and the Jews would refer to basically all of the first five books and even more as the law. So, law is a very broad term. It covers narrative, it co you know, like there's all different aspects to it. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah, I believe what Christ even said is, is a law, in the law it is written, and then quotes Isaiah, I believe, in one point. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I don't, I don't yeah. remember that reference. But the point being, law is not just do this or this will happen to you. It, it When we refer to the law of God, it's referring, like you said, to the entire, the entirety of God's word really is yeah. our instruction in what is you know as second timothy three sixteen, uh it's for all of life it applies to everything if if you want to hear um an objection to theonomy this was sh shared in a facebook group i i can't, i'm trying to find the source of the quote but apparently it's written by an amillennial guy and uh the quote is this uh the problem of the modern theonomist is that he mislocates the christian our present sojourn is in babylon and not jerusalem Daniel was not called to Hebrew nationalize Babylon in his temporary sojourn as if Babylon should become the new Jerusalem. Daniel worked within the Babylonian system to remain loyal to Christ, to worship his king, and to patiently wait during an appointed 70 years until the exiles were brought home and the kingdom was restored in its fullness. So too, the church waits during her time of exile for Christ to physically return and bring our present earthly sojourn to an end. Then the new Jerusalem will descend to us and the kingdom of God will come in all of its fullness and glory. For the present, we look much more like Daniel under Nebuchadnezzar than Israel 
under her geopolitical kings. Translation, just wait until Christ comes back. He'll fix everything. Until then, seek first your own kingdom and your righteousness. Yeah, but see, there's such frauds, though, because what he's going to say, well, um, as long as my property is secure, as long as I get to watch my Monday night football game, what happens when that goes? Is he going to have the same attitude when he's being dragged off to Babylon on the way? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe he might have a little bit different view of things. Mm-hmm. But, as, but th- th- that's the testimony of a guy who's comfortable, who the pagans are leaving him alone enough while, and, and giving him enough peace and enough bread and circuses in the meantime. But, bro, that's not the case for every everybody. Mm-hmm. It, 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 the guys in the January 6th, I mean, they, they, they can't afford to say something like that. No, they, they can't. can't. And, and, and most, they can't afford to have and, that theological position. And, people, and, and a place where people are being persecuted. Mm-hmm. They say, ah, well, okay, you know what? Uh, you know, rape, rape, rape my wife and kids, sell them into slavery, burn down my house, drag me off in, in, into, into some sort of gulag someplace. Yeah. The only, the only solution is wait for the re- return of Christ. Mm-hmm. That's what he said. But then why? If that's the only solution, then why do we have all this instruction in the law word of God about how we're supposed to live? Mm-hmm. He he has a guy like that has a problem with the law word of God because it does tell us how to live, and he'd rather ignore it. What a what a wicked man! Frankly, that's wicked. 1 Corinthians 14, Joel, is where Paul says, in the law is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even yeah. then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Right. So, so paraphrasing quoting, from Isaiah. Quoting Isaiah. Uh, yeah, I calling wanna, it the law to yeah, that point. Yeah. Say 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 14, 21. I want to wrap up this law thing because we kind of got, and this is good discussion from Thomas Paine's point. So, so Thomas Paine says, this is kind of, in America, he says, the law is king. I mean, this is, this is kind of the, the force of his argument here in chapter 3, that, that there's only one king in this land, and it's not the king of England, it's the law. He mm. says, for as in absolute governments, the king is law, so in free countries, the law ought to be king, and there ought to be no other. That was, mm. to what I was saying, okay, what law? Because in the end, if it's not God's law, it, it's, going to be, it's going to be man's law. And this is where I said, what's the substance to this? I mean, what is Payne actually arguing right. for here? He's just arguing, and we hear this all the time, well, in America, you know, we're a nation of laws. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, well, what, what does, if the laws are wicked, how is that a good thing? Right? We're a nation of man-made laws. Okay, and that's in the end, because Payne does not go to God's law in any sense, I mean, he, he uses the Bible to kind of make his appeal uh, to, to the fact that we shouldn't have a king, but there is, there is no—he's um, not going to the law of God. So th- that's, that's kind of why we started on this. And I, any other brief comments on, on that about pain? And then also, real quick, he says, a government of our own is our natural right. I think we talked about this two weeks ago, but that's, that's wrong. It's not our natural right to have a just government. It's our duty— to enforce justice and this whole enlightenment thinking of well this is our natural right uh you know we are we're born you know free or we're you know we're, we're innocent and and if you put us in a state of nature you know it's our right to, like no our what we deserve is wrath and damnation it's our duty to enforce justice and that mindset is i think absent from most of these enlightenment thinkers but any any other comments i want to briefly get to the uh to the gerald groff thing but any other comments on Payne's use of, you know, he, he really makes an argument here, well, the law is king, 
Um, but what is he what is he talking about? So let me start with you, Joel. Final thoughts on on pain here on those two points. He's kicking the can down the road, as all natural law theorists have to do. That mm-hmm. they, they they must do it. The the King of England stinks. Let's make up our own laws. I, but going back again, how do we know? Uh, absent the Bible, how do we know that what we do is going to be more just, or maybe in pain because for pain? Sixty percent of the representatives vote for it. Yeah, yeah there, there you go. So, so that means we the, have the, justice, the, right? The Sturdy Act. Yeah, yeah Sturdy Act. <laughs> Talk about that. Crazy idea. Yeah, make sure you uh, nail down your – yeah, that's, that's so well, maddening. That's the fruit of ultimate – you know, in a sense, it's a fruit of what he's arguing. It wasn't just Well, him. it is, and, yeah. and, and it, it's statism too, which we have a, such a problem with. Be, and, and people wonder, how, well, what, what is statism? The Sturdy Act is statism because it assumes that the state is more concerned with your children than you are. If it wouldn't be for the state, why, my goodness, you, you'd probably be piling the, the furniture on the kids yourself because you hate them that much. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you are fine with killing the babies in the womb. Talking about the sturdy act, not too sturdy in the womb for, for you, um, Senator, forget your name. Bob Casey. Bob Casey. He's still around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, How old is uh, that guy? I, he's been around for a while. He's, he's probably about effective as our other cadaver well, that we he, have in the Senate here. What's his name? His dad. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I am. I yeah, am. yeah. Uh, what was it? Was, uh, I always forget the other dude's name. The uh, Toomey? No, no, no. The guy no, now. Bi- President Biden. Frankenstein guy. Uh, oh, oh. oh. Uh, what's the Fetterman. 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 Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fetterman and Casey about as effective as, as each other. Um, it, it, you know, po- point being here is you can only kick the can down the road, and that's what Payne does. King of England's law stink. We'll make up our own. What are you going to do when your own stink? Mm-hmm. Like this one. Yeah. yeah, like this one. Yeah. Sturdy Act. That didn't come from a king of England, right? Came from our own guy. Right. Uh, Luke, natural natural rights, natural law, you know, the law is king in America. You know, we, I think the Enlightenment idea of, you know, we're, we're free in our natural state, but biblically, we're not, we're, we're born in sin. Mm-hmm. We're born under damnation. Mm-hmm. And if you leave it to ourselves, we won't be able to figure it out because we're in rebellion against Christ. So right. that I think that's one of the, the fundamental errors of enlightenment thinking is it does not recognize Christ as Savior. We don't need a Savior. We'll mm-hmm. figure it out on our own. Yeah. But uh, we don't just need a Savior spiritually. We need a Savior socially, like according to justice. We can't figure out justice on our own without Christ. So your, your final thoughts on on pain. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the problem with the... Um the, the claim that the law is king, um, that's a claim that the Bible never makes. The Bible never makes that claim. Um, you know, the, the, the Israelites, when they rejected God, um, he didn't say they've rejected my law. They said they've rejected me, that I should rule over them. So God, I, I believe, is always, uh, his plan is for every nation to recognize him as king, to recognize Christ as king. That's the king. Um, Your basic churchman would argue with you on that. Oh point. yes, oh yes, it would. they would. That no, yes, was just for would. Israel. That was just for that. That was just for Israel. Like God is like Christ is not king over the nations, right? And and um, you know to 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 prove what 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 I'm saying here, um, you know, uh, whenever whenever uh, people who are in charge of your government are are using the Bible to point out the problems, but are not using the Bible to establish the solutions. Right. That's pain. That's pain. Um, he, he often goes to the Bible to point out the problem, but he doesn't go to the Bible to say, here's, well, here's what the Bible has to say about how we fix this problem. But uh, reading Romans chapter 1, Paul, a servant 
of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was uh, descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations. That's what Paul's trying to do. He's trying to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations. And, uh, you know, he's not trying to put the law as king. He's trying to put Christ as king among all the nations. That's a claim in Revelation. That's a claim throughout all the Old Testament. Christ is king. He's our lawgiver. And when Payne goes to the Bible to say, here's a problem, uh, the king is violating our rights. The king doesn't know what he's doing. And the Bible has to say this about that. But then he goes to complete statism to say, here's the solution. We make our own government. We make our own laws. And then we're back to square one again because the problem was never the office of the king. The problem was always the power and authority given to the king outside of the scriptures. The Bible never gives anyone the, the authority to legislate outside of God's law. That's the problem. So, and I'll come to you, Travis, in a second here. And that, that's kind of the point. I mean, if you read Payne's common sense, the whole thing, I mean, his argument is very clear that we need to be able to make our own laws, and that's, that law is what's king. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be one thing if he was saying the law yes. of God is king. You'd still have your point there. But he's not even saying that. He's no. saying, he's clearly saying that whatever laws we make is king. Yes. I mean, there's no way around that. Uh, and I wanted to read real quick, because I mentioned last time, and this kind of goes, I mean, it's a simple proposition that if you need to recognize Christ as your Lord and, and, and king of your state, of your society, and we talked about this last time, but I have the actual quote here. So this is from Benjamin F. Morris. He said, It is said that after the convention had adjourned, this is the Constitutional Convention, Reverend Dr. Miller, a distinguished professor in Princeton College, met Alexander Hamilton in the streets of Philadelphia and said... Mr. Hamilton, we are greatly grieved that the Constitution has no recognition of God or the Christian religion, to which Hamilton responded, I declare we forgot it. Now, later, Morris says that Washington becomes president, and a Presbyterian in New England sent an address to President George Washington and said, We should not have been alone in rejoicing to have seen some explicit acknowledgement of the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent, inserted somewhere in the Magna Carta of our country. And here's what Washington replied. I am persuaded you will permit me to observe that the path of true piety is so plain as to require but little political direction. To this consideration, we ought to ascribe the absence of any regulation respecting religion from the Magna Carta of our country. To the guidance of the ministers of the gospel, this important object is perhaps more properly committed. And in the progress of morality and science, to which our government will give every furtherance, we may confidently expect the advancement of true religion and the completion of our happiness. So basically... That hasn't aged well. We, not aged well. We, we do not need to recognize Christ because you know what? That's that's not really what our government. You know that that's yeah, it's important. We need the right religion, but we don't need to. Uh, we don't need to recognize him. So, uh, well, we see where that's gotten us, Travis. Your final thoughts on Thomas Paine? I don't know if you're able to read his parts of his common sense or what, what you thought of his uh, law as king and, and all that, and then we'll we'll move on. I mean, uh, just this Washington quote here. I think I think Washington is acknowledging that. Really, the people of God, the church, the ministers of the gospel should be at the forefront, I think is what he's saying here. He's saying that. And I would, I would agree with you that there should be some explicit acknowledgement of Christ mm-hmm. in, in our nation's 
constitution, whatever Magna Carta. Uh, so I, and I've said before, I think that's, that's like the Achilles heel of the whole thing is that it's not explicitly acknowledging Christ as King mm -mm. and submitting to his word as the final authority and standard. Um, but I think that, uh, Washington, if I'm reading him correctly here, I think he's onto something really at the end of the day, what does God say? He says, if my people will repent and turn, acknowledge me, then I will heal their land. So the, the most important thing for us in our generation is for the church to time to wake up Luke. Yeah. <laughs> time to get out, get out of bed. Happens every podcast, man. <laughs> Almost gets me. But, but I think that that's, I think Washington's onto something there that the ministers of the gospel need to be at the forefront of this in leading the nation, leading the people. That was what, uh, you know, the, the American war for independence in many ways was led by the ministers of the gospel. Well, he's right about that, but I guess the point being that they should have, and some of these ministers of the gospel were saying, you have, you've buried the lead here. You've, you've missed the main point. You've failed to acknowledge Christ. Right. And they, they, they were, should they have kept were, at they, it. Well, yeah, they were doing what Washington <laughs> maybe was telling them to do. And he's like, eh, you know, we don't need that. But, but so, not here. Do right. it. <laughs> right. It almost sounds like do it in your churches, but not here. I, it kind of sounds. And that might, be, that might be the case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, they should have kept at it. I mean, if if that generation and and the following generation had faithfully done that, maybe we'd be in a different position now. But maybe they got too comfy with the way things. Yeah, were. And, and and some of them did. If you look at it, there was I forget what's called the National Reform or yeah NRA, the yeah. other NRA. Yeah, the that National was around. That was that's yeah. old, that goes way back. Yeah, it does. And they were trying to 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 revise the Constitution. So some did, but yeah, I mean, we've the, generally Reformed theology started to wane. I mean, I, I just read last night that it was like 80% Reformed theology at the time of the founding, but that slowly waned. By the time you get to the Civil War, it's way down. And, and this guy said the resurgence really started in like the 1960s and 70s. So anyway, Thomas Paine, uh, a lot there. Hopefully, if you listen to the two ep episode, two, uh, two previous episodes and this one, you'll get a bit of an idea of Thomas Paine's common sense, hopefully from a, a, a biblical perspective. That's what we've at least tried to do. It's, it's an interesting read. Uh, it's certainly something that you should read for uh, if you're going to study American history. You, you want to read Thomas Paine's Common Sense. Uh, you know, your kids should read it uh, and, and understand what he's saying there and understand the arguments that he's making uh, in, in, in context at the time. And he's arguing ultimately for man-made law, which leads us. We've already talked about it briefly with this Sturdy Act, but I, I want us to go. We, we have a few minutes left um, here before Luke has to leave. I want us to talk about... Um, Title Seven, okay, the Civil Rights Act. All right, let me just introduce this story. Okay, this is this is a Lancaster County man named Gerald Groff. Okay, and his his case went to the Supreme Court. I believe it was April. Yeah, it was argued on April eighteenth. Uh, Luke, did, were you able to listen to the arguments? Yes, I did. Okay, yes. yeah, yeah, I listened to him as well. Um, anybody else listen to him? I did not. Okay, no, I didn't listen okay. to the argument. Okay, so. Let me just read. This is from the syllabus of the Supreme Court. It says, Petitioner Gerald Groff is an evangelical Christian who believes for religious reasons that Sunday should be devoted to worship and rest. In 2012, Groff took a mail delivery job with the United States Postal Service. 
Groff's position generally did not involve Sunday work, but that changed after USPS agreed to begin facilitating Sunday deliveries for Amazon. To avoid the requirement to work Sundays on a rotating basis, Groff transferred to a rural USPS station and did not make Sunday deliveries. After Amazon deliveries began at that station as well, Groff remained unwilling to work Sundays, and USPS redistributed Groff's Sunday deliveries to other USPS staff. Groff received progressive discipline for failing to work on Sundays, and he eventually resigned. Groff sued under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, asserting that USPS could have accommodated his Sunday Sabbath practice without, quote, undue hardship on the conduct of USPS's business. Okay, so his 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 case went up, you know, the, the chain of courts, uh, basically ruling against him each time. He gets to the Supreme Court. They they don't actually rule fully in his favor. They, they remand the case, so they send it back to the lower courts. But what they say is, uh, the other cor- courts ruled with this understanding that it was just a de minimis. If if your religious request does any is even in the most minimal way causes your employer to a hardship, then they don't have to grant it. And the Supreme Court said, well, it's got to be a little bit more than that. It needs to be substantial. So uh, Gerald Groff and his his team was like, hey, this was a big win for us because now when we think these lower courts hear it, they're going to say, you know what. Uh, it wasn't it, it wasn't that substantial of a burden on USPS, whereas USPS says we still think we're going to win this thing. I mean, this was not just a minimal thing. We had to, you know, there's morale issues. There's we had to, we had to rotate shifts. We had to find people to work. We had to, so all these things. So that's that's a, a brief overview of the case. A real quick Title Seven. Again, this is a man-made law here, so I do want to talk about this. Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 made it unlawful for covered employees to fail or refuse to hire or discharge any individual or otherwise to discriminate against any individual with respect to his compensation terms, conditions, or privileges, employment because of such individual's religion. But there's actually much more. Let me find it here. Um, it's based on race, color, religion, sex, including pregnancy and national origin. So that's those are the things covered under the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So this is a case of a man who didn't want to work on the Lord's Day. Commend him for that. But what do we make of, of this this case and and the law, the Civil Rights Act, Title VII, the law? Luke, let me start with you. You listen to the arguments. What 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 are your what is your initial reaction to Gerald Groff's case there? Well, the 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 arguments. I mean, the standard <laughs> the standard is what else what what everyone else said. You know, they keep appealing to other cases. Well, in this case, you guys said this, and in this case, you guys said that, and in this case, this judge ruled this, and in this case, this law was passed. And it was like this, this, this convoluted argument. It seemed to be um, that that there was three people arguing that it was it was the lawyer versus the Supreme Court versus a, a, an invisible party, which was Congress. They kept arguing with Congress without Congress being there. Right. It was it was weird in that way. Like, well, Congress said often this in these, in these oral arguments. In, in these oral arguments, well, Congress has said this, and Congress said that. It's so convoluted that you're you're so far away from justice that you have to swim in this ocean of what everyone else said and what everyone else did. And you have to kind of use that as your authority. Well, you said this here, so that means I get to get X. You know, that's 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 that was the opening argument. Let, I mean, let's start with the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Yeah. Is that a good law? No, of, co- of course not. And, and here's, Why not? Because people are going to say, what? You, yeah, you guys here, believe in discrimination? Here's why. Here's why. Because... It, it might be uh, there. There are many times when it is immoral to discriminate against somebody for for a reason, but it should never be illegal. If you want to say I don't want to hire anybody um, who has blue eyes, that should be your right. It's your business. 
um, you do not move the boundary stone of your neighbor. That's his business. That's his right. If he says, I, if you own a Chinese restaurant and you say, I want to have Chinese workers, that should be your right. If, when I would, or Mexican workers, or like Mexi- a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Who, who cares? Listen, if, or Italian if, restaurants. But, but, but I'm like workers. that. I mean, if I go to a Chinese restaurant, I want to see Chinese employees. I do. Right. I, I don't trust them if, they're, if they don't have Chinese employees. Right. It's not a Chinese restaurant. Right. If, if, if there's people other than Chinese origin or Asian or, uh, descent walking around in the restaurant serving me food, I'm like, is this even a real Chinese restaurant? You know, but, but I mean, but that's fine because so, there are many places I've been to that um, there's not Chinese people working there and the food's fine. That, that, that's fine. But, um, you know, it should be your right to refuse uh, to hire anybody for whatever reason you want and you know people say well then you know uh you know i mean you know no no one will be hired well well, then you know that's not true um but uh, you know the 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 argument is really this it's not whether i mean that's that that's a false flag to say well you know it's about discrimination no that's the the real problem is you've given the government the authority over something that they should not have authority over they do not have authority to tell businesses to uh, who and when and how to hire people. That is not under their purview. It's not under their responsibility to tell people who and who. I mean, it ultimately comes down to the government telling government telling you how to do your business. That's what it is. That's what these civil rights acts do. Now, it is a good thing to not discriminate um, based on race. Of course, we have that right now. The government obviously thinks it's okay to uh, discriminate based on race. Affirmative action, that's what it does. The White House press secretary. White House press. I mean, they, they all discriminate based on race. I mean, for affirmative action is discrimination based on race. So so don't give me this, oh, no, 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 they, 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 we shouldn't be discriminating based on race. We have it right now. It's happening. Um, so uh, you, obviously the government thinks it's okay to discriminate based on race. They're completely fine with it. So don't give me this, uh, you know, if without the Civil Rights Act, we'd be discriminating based on race. We're discriminating based on race right now. The, the government is openly hostile to, to people of, of white descent. They're openly hostile. Affirmative action is openly hostile against, against people of, of white descent. So, so um, the, the, real, the real problem is we've given the government the authority to tell us how to do our business that is not under their responsibility their responsibility is to establish uh, and facilitate justice that's it yeah and this is an example again of what happens when you give man the power uh, you know law is king in, in america so this law is king and so when you have these oral arguments it's always going back to okay th- this is the standard uh i want to bring everybody else into this but uh, there's so many layers to this and i don't want to get too much into the fact that the u.s government shouldn't be involved in the mail system i mean their their business is i they even mentioned it in the oral arguments the, how they're they're underwater i mean they're not making any money yeah uh, well i mean they, they um is is the post office established by the federal government it's it's run so agroff yeah. has a, has has a case i believe he has a case because in in the contract because we do believe in contract between employer and employee the congress shall not make a law that this um that uh, regarding uh, establishment religion, religion or the free exercise right. thereof right right so if it comes down to the oral agreement or the the, the contractual agreement he took that job with the understanding that the government cannot get in the way of his free exercise of his faith. Observing the Sabbath is his free exercise of his faith. And if he took the job with that understanding, his case, I'm on his side, that the government said, we're not going to make a law that, that discriminates against your free exercise of faith, and here they are doing it. 
and 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 they're saying that we can do this but actually according to the agreement between him and the united states government they are not allowed to uh, discriminate against his free exercise of faith. Now, that's their word. That's I'm holding them to their promise. So his case is a legitimate case. Well, he didn't. He, he, but he sued under Title Seven, um, right? He, and that's the wrong thing to sue under. He sued under the Civil Rights Act. Right. I mean, I think the First Amendment. Yeah, we could get into that. There's so much to get into here. Right. I'm uh, not saying I'm not saying the First Amendment uh, is is because actually is legitimate. But I'm just saying that if we're going to go off of Here's what the employer and the employee agreed to. The employer is violating their word, and they're now uh, tell, uh, not allowing him to exercise his religion freely. That's their standard. I didn't say that's the right standard. I'm just saying that's their standard that they agreed to right. when they hired him. Yeah, and that does bring us into the religious freedom thing, which I do want to talk about as well. Uh, so, yeah, first of all, I mean, the USPS shouldn't be in the mail business. I mean, there are, yeah, other, there are other delivery companies that are not, uh, losing money, uh, and they're not run by the government. So, yeah, and if I could address that a little bit, having worked for FedEx at one time years and years ago, and found out all these things that FedEx was not allowed to do to protect the uh, government's uh, USP, you know, United Parcel Service oh, really? business. Oh, yeah, yeah, crazy stuff. For example, um, I remember some of this stuff. Like, uh, uh, if you were non-USPS, you were only allowed to transport freight in certain size jets. And uh, Fred Smith, who uh, owned Federal Express at, at the time, CEO of FedEx at the time, had to go to Congress to allow to, to Congress to change the law to allow them to transport freight in DC tens. You remember the DC? Some of you older folks remember before we had Boeing seven seven forty and seven sixty this this and that. It was DC sevens, DC right. And so, and the law was in place to protect the United uh, USPS. Uh, another law in place was, for example, uh, you, the folks from Lancaster County will appreciate this. If, if back in the day, if FedEx picked up a, a package in their Lancaster station that was going, say, from Quarryville to Lidditz, for example, and the FedEx station handled both, you had to have that package cross state lines. This was law, right? It had to leave. And now it can get lost or whatever, right? You were not allowed to keep it in your station overnight. This is the nonsense. Mm -hmm. that just there's other nonsense wow. too that, 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 that's out there just to protect the United, the, the, the USPS. So of course, once you have the, the 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 power of the federal government behind you, you can make stupid laws like that, whereas private people can't. And no wonder it costs us, what sixty seventy cents to send a what what how what's it called? I don't even know. Not enough, apparently. No, no not they enough should, because it's be, still underwater. Yeah, they should charge right. us five dollars to stamp by now. Yeah, yeah. To turn us loose. Let people compete. I remember reading this about this a while ago, where a somebody got the idea to just distribute um, letters and correspondence on Capitol Hill, and char they were charging like almost nothing. It was just Capitol Hill right there, right? And it was a lot cheaper, and the business was going good. Until somebody got a hold of it from the USPS, ah, uh, uh, now you're breaking the law here, right. and that was the end of that. No, you got to pay our our, our rates. So at sixty six cents is the current stamp. Sixty six cents. What, what's the cost to mail a letter through like UPS or FedEx? It's more expensive than that, right? But that's probably yeah. more of an accurate. But but what an if accurate they could description compete? of what of, right? That's oh, an right. accurate representation of how much right. it costs. Yeah, yeah, right. right. The actual cost. Yeah, but and, and I've heard someone say that. Well, you know, USPS is not a business; it's a service. So obviously, it has to be underwater. 
because it's a service. It's not a business. Yeah, it's, all, it's always underwater. But here's the thing: I, if you were to turn US, you know, UPS loose, um, Federal Express, and all these other delivery companies, I have no doubt in my mind that if you were sending local mail, that it'd be far cheaper. What there's what the USPS says is, well, if you live in outer Alaska or whatever, it costs more, but we have to spread that cost out. Ah, yeah. Now we're back to spreading the cost out. You know what? If you want to live in, uh, you, you know, on the Alaska Highway someplace, it should cost you more to get your mail. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. right. <laughs> oh, you want to live up there? Yeah. You live up there? Yeah, that's part. That's yeah. your punishment. Why, why should Why should I pay sixty six cents to send a, a note to my neighbor to support you living out in the tundra someplace? All right, so. That's part of this religious freedom because if you listen to this argument, I mean, it, it applies to any religion, right? That, that that's the thing here that I think yeah. we we, we do appreciate good point. Groff's desire to rest on the Lord's Day. There's a lot. I don't know if we're even going to get into it completely today, but th- there's a lot there. Um, I mean, there's there's so much there to consider. Also, regarding you know, if you have an employer who who is providing you know works of mercy uh, and necessity. I mean, we could get into all that, um, but the point is the the Title Seven and religious freedom applies to any any religion so this is i think one of the fundamental flaws when christians say your religious freedom is a good thing no it's not because it, it basically says okay the christian religion is just like every other religion down here and the state is ultimately supreme you can have your religious observances your accommodations for any religion equally but the state is ultimately the ultimate standard and so, you know, you argue here, if you... Would you say the, the state is saying that they're the arbiter of what a legitimate religion is? They're definitely the arbiter of what, what religious practice they will allow. Okay. At the end of the day, it it's always comes back to, you know, the compelling state interest here. If the government hasn't has a reason to limit that exercise, then they will. But so, but if you wow. follow if you okay. follow, if you follow Title Seven, if you apply Title Seven religious freedom, you would have Christian employers forced to honor pagan religions mm-hmm. that that's the point and christians yes. don't understand that they say oh right. we want religious freedom no we don't we want we want christian religion right. right and within that there is a small category for your pagan religions um e- even under the theonomic system but religious freedom is not what christians should be arguing for mm-hmm. um right. so travis what are your thoughts on on the the groff situation yeah i agree with what you're saying i mean basically I'm fully supportive of what Groff was doing there. Um, I think that that's just another area where the church has disregarded God's law. Um, Most Christians, if you talk to them in Lancaster County, really don't think the fourth commandment still applies to us. The whole idea of the Sabbath being honored and observed is a very it's it's the one ten of the ten commandments that doesn't still apply. It's it's the nine <laughs> commandments, the one suggestion. Yes. Yeah. Well, exactly. I, go ahead. Yeah, and and I think that that is, uh, it's a problem because as soon as that is not a binding law on us anymore, then, uh, you know, you get really wishy washy on things. You know, you get. You get churches that are saying, oh, well, you know, maybe we could just start having services anytime we want throughout the week. And um, and then you have situations like the Groff situation where as a society, we need to we need to get to a place where there is a sacred day of worship. Yeah. And you only get there if the Christian religion is the religion of the society, because otherwise I can make up my own religion 
and three days a week are my Sabbath and you have to honor that as the employer. Right. That's definitely part of it because they were not arguing for the fourth commandment. That would have been one thing if it was like, we're going to look to God's law. Should Gerald Groff be required to work on the Lord's day? Mm -hmm. That was not the argument at all. Mm -hmm. It was not about that. Um, so again, it goes back to like, well, do you try to use a system to, to get, I, I, I really don't know if this was a worthwhile thing. I mean, for example, I'm with you 100%, and I think, um, and you know, Luke, you have a short chapter on, on the Sabbath in your book. Yeah. But I mean, let's say, for example, we have a, a tow truck company, right? Because this, maybe we need to get into this a little bit, where, you know, they're going to say, we're, we're going to offer our services on Sunday um, in case someone breaks down and, you know, whatever. They, they need to get their car towed or, they, or some other service. So we could look at all those things and say, well, is that guy violating the fourth commandment? I don't think so. I don't think he is taking the law of God in its totality. I think that's kind of one of your arguments, at least in your book, somewhat. So if that's the case, should that tow truck company be allowed to hire and fire whoever he wants? And if he says, look, one of the things we do here is we provide service to people on the Lord's Day. And yeah, we get paid for it because otherwise we're not going to be able to do it. That's what you and I talked about in the one after show. Should that tow truck company be allowed to say, you know what, I'm not going to hire you if you're not at least available to do this on a rotation basis? I think he should be allowed to do that, right? And I yeah. think the, 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 the employee should be free to say, well, you know what? I, my conscience says that we shouldn't even be helping people on the side of the road on the Lord's Day uh, as a business, and therefore I can't work for you. Fine, don't work for him. So I think that's, that's the Christian thing we got to bring in. Like, I get Gerald Groff's point. I mean, I've been in positions where I was like, I, don't, I wish I didn't have to work on the Lord's Day, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't sue under Title VII. Mm -hmm. um, so, Joel, what do you think about that? As a pastor, like, I agree with you, Travis. I think the problem there a lot of times is with the church and the individuals. Um, so I want to get your guys' thoughts on this, and then we might have to revisit this another time as well. Go ahead, Joel. Yeah, if we, if, if we get to the, quote-unquote, the right answer on the wrong basis, we're ultimately going to have our foundation crumble underneath us, mm -hmm. and we're going to get to the wrong answer eventually. Mm -hmm. we, we will. If it's on Christ the solid rock I stand – all other ground truly is sinking sand, then let's sue on the basis of God's law and lose rather than sue on the basis of Title VII. And win. And win. Yeah, now you got to honor all the Muslim. Absolutely. You, know, yeah, you got to follow all that stuff. Yeah. So. Sure, sure you do. And so now we have uh, what? Um, you, you know, okay, a Muslim woman wants to wear it, cover her face for her driver's license photo, right? Got to honor it. Well, that makes a hang of a lot of sense. Yeah, that would be a moot point because we don't we shouldn't have driver's license. Yeah, yeah. But, but to another your point, point would to, be to your point. Be. The Christian Christian businesses, once they get to a certain size, theoretically, are going to have to follow all these, and then they have all these loopholes and stuff. Well, if you're a Christian, you say you're a Christian company, then you know maybe you can. It's okay to discriminate based on the basis of religion. It's all this yeah. nonsense, all these loopholes. Y yes, it just never ends. Yeah, on Christ's solid rock, I say, you know, the B I B L E. Yes, that's I stand alone on the Word of God. Right? No, no, no. We have to stand on, on Title Seven. Uh, driving in today, right? A, a, a van passed me. Might have passed you as well, Luke. Uh, this this um, heating and air conditioning company advertises one hour response now did you see that no okay on the way in that, a, anyway because we you know I'm, I'm thinking one hour response and they're they're uh they're, they're just call i mean it's, it's really pretty good marketing dial 1-800-1 hour that's pretty stinking good mm -hmm. okay to your point chris on sunday right 
I said, well, hey, you know what? I'm going to work for this company, but I'm not working on stuff. Well, well, then we can't advertise one hour then, right? Well, then don't work for them. No, but no, let's go Supreme Court. Let's let's do all the stand on Title Seven rather than on the actual Word of God. Mm. And know that when you actually took the job. Yeah. So there, there's another case that briefly in Ocean, Ocean Grove, New Jersey, that I sent to you guys. And that's a that town is owned, if you will, by the Methodist Camp Association. Yes. They yeah. got it back in the 1860s. And it's been their practice to keep the beach closed on the Lord's Day. Yes. Uh, and they changed it recently to say, well, we're just going to keep it closed in the morning. Okay. And I think they're free to do either one. Now, that's a case where I would... <laughs> I would be totally supportive of them being like this because now the state's coming in and saying like, you can't do this. Right. And they're like, well, this is our private property. I don't know all the details, but they're definitely claiming, look, this is our private property. We have the right to keep it closed on the Lord's day. And our argument is it's not title seven. It's, it's, we want to honor God here. And I know that's what Groff is saying. I understand that personally, but then he's suing under title seven. So that's, that's, that's a case where, okay, if you had just judges, they would say, no, the state obviously wouldn't exist to this extent. They can't come in here and force you to open uh, on the Lord's Day. But ultimately, with most of this stuff, I mean, the state just shouldn't be involved. Mm-hmm. And uh, Luke, just comment briefly, uh, you know. What an example of colonialism that whole case is. It's such a, I mean, these people are like anti-colonialism. I know it's not the- Ocean the, Grove case? The Ocean Grove case. Yeah. It's not the locals who are making a problem about this. The guy said in the article, like, everyone okay? Everyone around here is fine. They know it's closed on Sunday morning. They're completely fine with this being closed on Sunday morning. It's people from out of town, people who are not from here, who are coming in and being like, you should be open. You know, it's and it's such an example of these people who are like, I'm deconstructing my colonialism. But then they come here and come into other places and try to bring their colonialism in and force people to do go against their conscience. It's so it's so wicked and wrong. And, you know, if 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 the. You know, separation of church and state. You know, they don't believe in, in that either. They're saying you should be open. You should be, you should, you have a moral responsibility to be open because if it's not moral, then it doesn't matter. If it's this, if this is not a moral case, then it really doesn't matter at the end of the day whether open or closed. But they are saying it's moral. It's immoral for you to be closed because I want to have my vacation and blah, 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 blah. And, and I don't even know if it's about that. I think it's just about pushing people around. That's what I think it's about. Yeah, that's what the the president of that camp association said. At least they're targeting us because we're Christians. Yes. If we, if we were another group, and we were closed. You know, Wednesday morning, nobody would care. Oh yeah, yeah. If they said we're a Muslim group and we want we want to close that, it wouldn't touch them. Not right. with a ten foot pole. Right. So, yeah, I, I'm agreeing with you, Travis, that we need to take seriously the fourth commandment. But I guess I'm I'm also um, looking at it and saying, okay, well, what does actually the law of God then grant the civil government the authority to do as it relates to that? And it's one of the points in your book, Luke, well, how is a judge going to adjudicate between someone over the Sabbath day uh, when when there's certainly a matter of conscience there? And and Jesus has has, uh, said, you know, the, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So I think you're right. Travis, that we as a society, as a church, we need to come back to saying we need to honor the Lord's day and set it apart. Uh, and that's only going to happen if there's a change from from within. But to give, but to then to appeal to the government uh, under the, the auspices of Title VII uh, and religious freedom, I've argued before that when you argue for religious freedom, you open the door for these mm-hmm. abortionists yes. in New Mexico to yes. say religious freedom gives us the right to practice abortion. Mm-hmm. And I argue that they're actually right. Mm-hmm. If you adopt the religious freedom argument, which is not Christ is Lord, the state is Lord. All the other religions are free to exist uh, as long as they don't infringe on our authority as the state. 
And you can make a case, well, abortion should be allowed if it goes against even this state law. I mean, there are other states that allow it. This is my religion. Um, So religious freedom, Civil Rights Act is bad. Yeah, I think we've we've covered that. Final thoughts on this, Travis, and then we'll go around and we're going to wrap up. Yeah, I I agree with you there that the the idea of freedom of religion just generically talked about is a big problem. And that comes back to something that I like to bring up all the time. This idea of neutrality is the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, Bonson talks about push the antithesis. There's no neutrality here. There's there's a God. Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to be on the throne. Who is it? Is it the state? Is it some other religion or is it Christ? Mm -hmm. And if all you have is generic freedom of religion, it's going to be Pandora's box and we're going to have all these vying religions. There's going to be no end to religions being created or come, you know, conjured up from people and they can make their own holy days. They can make their own rules and regulations. And basically the state's going to have to protect all of them. Yeah, and that's what that's what they're doing, and that was the oral arguments. Well, well, we can't we can't discriminate against the Muslim religion or the whatever religion, Christian yes. Science. Mm-hmm. They're all equal, mm-hmm. and now it's just a matter of state interest and, and employer interest. And so, I understand, you know, Groff and his team say well, this is a big win. I, I just I, I don't think it is. To your point, Joel, it's it's a it's a, a faulty foundation, and you've just made it that much harder for a Christian employee to honor the Lord. Well, well you're strengthening the faulty foundation, which is the last thing you want to do. Right. Yeah, look, we, we got a good result from this, from from uh, suing on base of Title Seven. So obviously, it's a good thing. I don't even think they're going to win. I agree with USPS. Like under this, under their standard and systems, I don't think Groff will win when he, when they re, they remand it, send it back. The lower court's going to look at it again, and I think they're going to say this was more than a de minimis hardship on which on, is all they have to do. That's they have to say it was substantial. It was undue hardship. Yeah. I don't think he's going to win. Hmm. Luke, final thoughts. Uh, it, we're back to Rome again. This is Rome. Um, freedom of religion is, is the same thing as, as it's understood today. Freedom of religion is the same thing as Rome. Okay, you can have your own religion, just say Kaiser Curios and, right. and sprinkle, and you know that's that's all you got to do. Uh, I just want to brief, briefly say when it comes to to law enforcement, you know, for the Supreme Court and for Congress and for the president, I, I, I believe that the, the, there's a triune nature to law enforcement. Um, I was talking to Dad about this yesterday, but for a law to be enforced. It must meet three criteria. It must be first transcendent, it must be good, and it must be knowable. If it's not transcendent, then it comes down to the opinion of an individual or a group of people. That's not good enough to force, you cannot force the opinion of a group of people onto one person, and you cannot force the opinion of one person onto a group of people. That's wickedness. So it must come from outside man's opinion. It must come from something superior to mankind. Secondly, it must be good. There are many laws out there um, that um, are they're just, they're just not good laws. We need a standard to judge, okay, is this a good law or Civil is this a bad law? Title Civil 7. Rights Act. It's, it's, yeah, right. And they, and, and they say that's a, that's, it's, it's a law, but it's not good. The law must be good. We cannot be enforcing bad laws on people. And third, it must be knowable. Um, you got to know what it is. It can't be general. It can't be vague. Like most of our laws today, the language is vague on purpose, so it can be manipulated. So for a law to be enforced, it must be transcendent. It must come from God. Secondly, it must be good and it must be knowable. And the on that is a just law. That's what constitutes a law that is just. It meets these three criteria. Outside of that, 
we cannot understand or know how to enforce a law because then it comes down to someone's opinion, it comes down to wickedness, and it comes down to confusion. Yeah. Well said. Did you get that from somewhere? No. Oh, you guys came up with that one, huh? I, I, I came up with that one just a couple of days ago. Okay. Yeah. I, I actually argued with him a little bit. Uh, I, I, I said, you actually have to have doable in there. I wanted to exchange doable. Um, what did I want to exchange that for? With good. With, with, with good. Yeah, but transcendent, my, good, right. and knowable. I wanted to say it's already good if it's transcendent, so we have to have doable in there. So we got into a little argument about that, but anyway. It's a work in progress. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, well my, my rejoinder was that you know the, there, uh, there are laws that meet two of these criteria, but we should not enforce them. So an example of something that is transcendent and good but is not knowable is God's thoughts. All right, that's transcendent and it's good, but we don't know what God's thoughts are, so we can't. Uh, other than what them. he's told us, other yeah. than what he's told right, us, right? An example that is something that is good and knowable, uh, but is not transcendent, um, uh, m might be um, you know building codes, right? I mean, if I mean some some building codes are designed to keep people safe, and I understand that, but it's not transcendent; it's just man's opinion, so you can't enforce it. Um, you yeah. should not enforce it. And then some of them are transcend. Uh, uh, some of them are transcendent and knowable, but they're not good. And that would be uh, the uh, Old Testament ceremonial laws. They're transcendent. They're knowable. But if we start sacrificing again, that's not good. So my my rejoinder was that a knowable is doable, in my opinion. So anyway, okay. Did I ask you your final thoughts already, Joel? Because we got to wrap up. Uh, no. Um, what are your final thoughts? Just uh, try to keep it short here. People wonder what statism is, right? How do I know if I'm a statist? Here's one way you know. You might know you're a statist if. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah you might be a statist if you believe that it's a human right to swim at Ocean Grove on a Sunday. Mm. You might be a statist mm. because there's no – once. And here's what I'm saying. Once you begin to define human right outside of the scriptures – there's no limit. Mm -hmm. And you are in idolatry now. Right. And the idol is ultimately going to consume your children. That's what all idols mm -hmm. ultimately do mm -hmm. is consume your children. You might be a status if you're trying to if you're trying to define a human right outside of the scriptures. Mm. We need to do a whole episode on you might be a statist. That's going to be a long, that's you, be a long episode. You might be a statist if you want the government to force businesses to honor every religion. Mm -hmm. You might right. be a statist. Right. That's, that's basically the, the, the end of Groff's uh, case here is, well, yes, it is. Every, every employer now has to work that much harder to deny a false religious accommodation because there's only one true religion. So... Anyway, great thoughts, gentlemen. I think we're going to have to revisit some of these things. Travis Schmalhofer, thank you for coming in. Thanks Luke Saint, I didn't, yeah, I didn't introduce you guys at the beginning. Luke Saint, check out his book, The Sound Doctrine of Theocracy. Uh, read it before you get to Rush Juni. All right. And Joel Saint, Executive Director of Mid-Atlantic Reformation Society. Thank you all for coming in. Please go to LancasterPatriot.com for more information about the Lancaster Patriot. Go to Patreon.com slash the Lancaster Patriot uh, to support the show. And if you are a patron, stick around and Joel and I will do a brief after show. Until next time, remember Christ, not the state, is king. So long.